beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. You can go to BuiltBar.com, enter the code LOCKEDON, and get $10 off your first order. Today's show is also another edition of Mailbag Monday, where we answer listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's a couple ways you can do it. First, just tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. I'll see the tweet. I will add it to the list. Or you can wait for Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time, where I typically send out a tweet soliciting your questions for the show. I did not do that this week. So we're a li- we are somewhat light on questions, although we certainly still do have a full show. Um, this week did not feel like an appropriate time for me to farm Twitter for content. With the state of current events in our country and the important conversations that need to be had in our country, I didn't feel like it was my place to uh, tweet out questions for a podcast mailbag. If you feel like you were left out, I apologize, but that was my personal choice. In any case, if you are not someone who uses Twitter or you just don't like to tweet, you can also get involved in the show by emailing your questions to LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Just to be clear, if you still want to tweet me questions, I'll see them. Don't worry about it. I just might not send out a tweet soliciting questions until I feel that it is appropriate. With that said, let's get on with our regular show. This first question comes from Jeff from Gmail, who asks two questions. Both of these are pertaining to the resumption of play in the NBA and the various ways that the league will start up uh, its season in the bubble in Orlando, Florida. Now looking like the end of July when that will happen. But Jeff asks first, which format do you prefer? The 20-team pool play versus the 22-game play-in format? And what do you think we will see? Uh, It seems increasingly like we will have a 22-team with a play-in format. Looks like It sounds like there's going to be some regular season games, and then after those regular season games and the the, uh, standings get straightened out a little bit more then following those regular season games we will get a play in format of some sort and then we'll get a 16 team playoff that sounds like what's going to happen and I think that was my preference over pool play I know that I had a uh, Eric Gunderson on at the end of last week to pitch the idea of pool play that he was very excited about but to me the NBA playoffs are good they're good they're they're the part listen they're the a lot of diehards, and, and it's many of you listening, diehard NBA fans, love the NBA and aren't, aren't going to be, you know, are going to watch it all through all through the years regardless. But there there are plenty of people, plenty of sports fans around the, the world and around the country that only care about the NBA playoffs. They only watch it in the spring, and it's because the product is good. I like the seven-game uh, playoff format or the best-of-seven playoff format because you can't fake it. The best team wins. Uh, if you are better than that team, you are going to beat them four out of seven times. Certainly matchup stuff gets in play and things like that, but it's it, it's, it rewards... It is a meritocracy. It rewards the best team in a way that I think maybe other postseasons and other sports don't. So I would prefer to see that play-in game and then stick with the traditional format. That's That would be my preference. Um, the pool play would be fun, but to me, it kind of dilutes what's already going to be a very weird way to crown a champion. Second question from Jeff is, assuming everyone but Hoodie, that's Rodney Hood, is available with no physical limitation, what will be the Blazers' rotation? Do... Zach and Nurk start immediately. 
That's the question on everyone's mind, right? Uh, when the NBA season started, Nurk was a game away. He was four days away from returning. I think it got. I think I believe the NBA was stopped officially on Wednesday, March 11th. So that was a Wednesday evening, and he was set to come back on that Sunday. So he was seriously four days away from a return, a much-anticipated return. So he's going to be healthy. Zach um, sounds like he was going to be a little bit later in the season, but we're way beyond his... He was. They were going to debate whether they were going to bring Zach back basically at the end of March or early in April, and whether, you know, depending on where they were in the playoff hunt, whether it would make sense for him to play two or three games or eight or nine games or whatever it would be. You know, they were going to make that determination based on standings, at least from what I understand, is that Zach really wanted to come back, but the team was going to make those decisions outside of his personal preference. But we're way beyond that timeline. Zach is cleared to play. Uh, Nurk is cleared to play. I believe Jason Quick of The Athletic has reported on their excitedness and to return and all, all those things. So they're going to be back. Um, which does lead us to the questions is do they start immediately? I think depending on matchups, it makes it would make sense to start Zach Collins over uh Carmelo Anthony, but there's obviously some politics there. Um, what Melo's comfortable with. If you know, if the Blazers are gonna move on from Melo next year, then maybe being making him happy in a in a postseason run isn't super important. I also think where they want to play Zach Collins might determine how much he plays. Like if he's gonna play a lot of backup five. Um, because they're not 100% sure of how much they can use Nurk. We'll get to that in a second. But if Nurk's minutes are limited, then maybe uh, bringing Zach off the bench because he's mostly a backup five makes sense. But the Blazers don't really have forwards. That's like not not a position they have in the roster, with all due respect to Nazir Little and Caleb Swanigan. Uh, they don't... It's they just don't have a lot of dudes who can play the four. So I think Zach is a question mark. I don't think it's certain that he starts, but I think he's, I think he's like probably a, like a more impactful player right now than Carmelo Anthony, although he, the very different skill sets. Nurk, on the other hand, don't think he starts. Um, Although it does get tricky if you bring him off the bench and he's playing really well and then you end up in the situation where do you play him 18 consecutive minutes to close the game or something like that. That always gets weird when you bring guys off the bench. See Myers Leonard against the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs where he would just play the final 18 minutes of both halves because Terry was being weird. So I think that gets tricky, but you can figure that out on the fly. You can sub him out for three minutes at the start of the fourth quarter and then bring him back and and, and other creative things like that. But I don't think Nurk starts because they're still... Nurk... I would imagine will be on a limit, uh, a minutes limit of some variety because you just kind of have to, right? He hasn't played basketball in over a year. Um, even if he's cleared physically to do everything, there's going to be a wind element where you just can't throw him out there for 36 minutes and get, expect to get the most out of him. He'll be somewhat limited in what he can do. So I think it's reasonable to say that Nurk comes off the bench and Zach, I, I would say Zach likely starts, but... Like if I'm hedging, I, I think Zach starts because uh, better defense kind of fits what the Blazers need in that starting lineup more. But it wouldn't surprise me if for other reasons, human reasons, Cromo Anthony remains the starting power forward. Okay, next question from Sir Weezy at Weezy Sir on Twitter who asks, if Portland does find a way to make the playoffs, who do you think starts, Hassan or Nurk? I kind of just answered this, but let me expand on this just a little bit more. Hassan Whiteside has been fine and is not... and has not been the Blazers issue. Like, I don't think he's been particularly good, but he ha- he's specifically not been bad. Um, that that's an overstatement. He just, he just has limitations. Um, and it is an either or proposition. I think that's important to point out. You can't really play them together. There's so few teams where you could reasonably play them together. So 
you do have to make a decision. And while Yusuf Nurkic may end up closing games if he's fully healthy and ready to go, um, and because he's just a better basketball player when fully equipped than Hassan Whiteside, I think I think you stick with Hassan. Weezy, I, I should have asked. I should have read your question in part two with Jeff's question. I kind of, I kind of maybe shortchange you a little bit there. I apologize, but those were thematical questions. I grouped them together. My thoughts are that Nurk comes off the bench, like I just said in the previous answer. But Sir Weezy, that one was specifically for you. All right, second segment. Come back with more of your questions. But first, I'll tell y'all more about Built Bar. Built bars are tasty. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Come in 16 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. they got a great texture. They're soft and easy to chew. But they're also healthy. In addition to being delicious, they got some nutritious value. They're great for the health, health conscious among us because they're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Take, for instance, the mint brownie. It's got 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and just 5 grams of net carbs. So if you are on the hunt for a nutritious snack that also tastes great, get yourself a Built Bar. And to do that, here's what you do. You go to BuiltBar.com and you use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right. Let's keep it rolling with more of your questions on this Mailbag Monday. This next one comes from Lel, at the Blazer fan on Twitter, who asks, if the Blazers win one or two championships in 1990-1992, does it become clear for now that Drexler is the best Blazer of all time? And finally, does Drexler embrace Portland more, recognizing his Houston connection? Okay, if Clyde Drexler is a two-time NBA champion, then... He's the best Blazer of all time for now and probably eternity with, I mean, like, obviously there's a million possible scenarios where Damian Lillard wins several consecutive titles or whatever it is. But um, realistically, uh, this this particular Blazer team doesn't look exactly loaded up to to be a multi, multi-time champion, to make two trips to the finals. They look like a team that could, you know, maybe have things break the right way and, and make an appearance in the finals and see what happens. Uh, they would need some luck and probably a little bit of a deeper roster. But sure, this this is a team that's probably like a mid-tier playoff team when really healthy, maybe slightly above that, maybe slightly below that. But they're not a champion. Like this particular roster is not like a, a lock to be in, in a championship round, right? And I think Dame's case for greatest blazer of all time is bo- is is chiefly statistics. He's going to own minutes minutes played, games played, points, assists. Like he's three pointers, he's going to crush everyone. He's going to just he's going to be the a top of just a lot of meaningful leaderboards. Um, he will he probably will catch Clyde in All Star game appearances and those type of things. He might not finish second in MVP voting at any point in his career, but uh, that's that stuff is a little more minutia than than what we really talk about with greatest greatest blazer of all time and i think what dame's actual claim to greatest blazer of all time is is this is the soft stuff is that he is beloved in the community now he shares a real connection with the team and he's shown like a level of loyalty that people connect with and being a good dude goes a long way to how you are remembered that's just that's just how this stuff works that said if clyde is a two-time champion Dame ain't catching him without winning a third title or a second title, right? Like, the 
the Blazers are a titleless franchise. If Clyde had the one, if Clyde was the guy with the one, then it wouldn't be much of a debate. I don't. I think right now there's a big sect of Blazer fandom that thinks that Clyde is is far and away number one, and Dame's got a lot of work to do to catch him. I think that's fair. I probably disagree, but I think that's fair. Um, that said, if he's got a title, if my guy's holding one or two Larry O'Brien trophies, Dame or Drexler is the guy. Glide is the guy, and and Dame is is chasing you know Lamarcus Aldridge and Bill Walton for second. Shout out Maurice Lucas too. And that said, um, if he's a two-time champion, perhaps he doesn't demand that trade in 1995. But listen, not there's just. People don't always stay where they're drafted, so Clyde might have still left in the end to in in some some form or fashion. Next question, Jay from Gmail, who asks, "What are your thoughts on Matthew Delvadova and Aaron Baines as free agents for the Blazers? Bit of an Aussie flavor, I know, but Delhi as a backup to Dame, he could play defense, hit the three, hit the three a bit, but he passes the ball and had good assists in in the few weeks before COVID." Baines could be a solid backup to Nurk as well. He's a decent rebounder, gets after the offensive board, sets good screens, and can now hit the three. Both are getting a bit on and could come cheap. For context, for listeners who are maybe not as uh, Aussie hoops-focused as Jay is, both Matthew Delvadova and Aaron Baines are going to be free agents whenever the offseason happens. Sounds like it's going to happen at the end of October. Um, They... They're both, they are getting on in age, as Jay points out. Uh, Delhi is almost 30. Aaron Baines is 33 and will turn 34 in December. And I think they're both reasonable options. I think Baines would be, I I, I like Aaron Baines. Like, I, I think he's, um, I think he'd be a nice fit for the Blazers because he is someone who is just like a straight up role player. He, you know, he would, he, you could plug him in on any team, and he understands that he's going to be a complimentary piece. Um, he, man, did he torch poor Hassan Whiteside this year. Um, just absolutely mauled that dude. Um, he's He has limitations, but uh, he's he's just a huge guy who, sh- who can shoot standstill threes. I think he's valuable, and I think that part of his game can age okay. Um, obviously, being 34 and trying to play NBA basketball, getting increasingly hard. But I'm a believer in Aaron Baines, and I like the idea of him as a backup center. Um, you, The Blazers roster construction next year is a little bit tricky. Um, do you sign another center and make Zach a full-time power forward, or do you sign another power forward and make Zach the, have him spend some time as a backup center? That, that stuff's a little bit tricky, and I think Baines would pigeonhole Zach to only minutes at the four, which maybe isn't the best plan for him. Um, but you could probably find minutes to go smaller and have Baines and Nurks it out at the same time. So I'm 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 with Baines. The other option, Matthew Delvadova. Listen, he was a good choice for the Cleveland Cavaliers with two really young guards um, who needed someone to come in and steady steady the boat. The Blazers are not a steady the boat type team. They don't need a veteran guard to settle things down. They have a 30-year-old point guard who's pretty good. Um, and they have two other guards who I think you, you want to figure out how to get time for off the bench in Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons. Um, I am not much of a believer in Delhi being a good NBA player in 2021. Um, I think his best years were in, you know, the, the 
2015 NBA Finals and the whole 2016 year where he was fantastic as a role player on a team that had LeBron James and he could kind of figure out how it fit. He got himself a whole bunch of money off that championship year and had a really nice career. I'm not a believer in Delhi in 2021 for the Blazers or really any team, but yeah, Baines is good. Baines might not be a perfect solution for the Blazers, but he is a he will be a useful wherever he goes, he'll be a useful role player uh, by being a gigantic person. Okay, next question comes from Jordan Poe at Jordan Powell 456 on Twitter, who asks, Thoughts on Kelly Oubre? I would love to see him at Portland. Great shooter, and before he got injured, attacked the rim really well, and an amazing defender with heaps of length. Someone we might not have to give up CJ or Nurk to go get thoughts. Okay, we're just we're talking about dudes who play for the Suns today. Aaron Baines and now Kelly Oubre. Um, I like Kelly Oubre. I think uh, he is a he is like the type of player the Blazers need. Is that he's this uh, athletic, rangy wing. He's six seven with length. Um, he's a pretty good shooter. I don't know if he's an elite shooter or anything like that, but he's a he's a decent. Um, He's a league average shooter from the wing with the ability to get hot. I think it's probably the best way to describe Kelly Oubre. Here's the problem with going to acquire him. He is due over $14 million in next season whenever that season starts. The Blazers don't have a lot of like good trade parts to go get a guy like that. Um, you know, the like obvious matching salary there is Trevor Ariza, who's already been a son, and they they traded him away. Um, so I can't imagine that that's something they want. I don't think trading for a guy with an expiring contract like that is something that you give up. The Blazers, I mean, other teams would, but the Blazers specifically give up a first round pick for. Um, I think Ubre could help. I think I like him as a fit on this team. Um, he's definitely the type of player that they should go after. But specifically in this time and with his contract situation, with with what the Blazers sort of have to trade to go get him with the parts that they can trade to go get him. It seems trickier than um, they just don't have a lot of salaries that cleanly match up. And do they want to give away two of the young guys to go get him? Do they want to, you know, aggregate the salaries of Nazir Little and Gary Trent Jr. to go get Kelly Oubre? Not clear to me, um, but overall I like him. Uh, I think maybe your assessment of him as a really good defender is further than I would go, but hey, to each their own. Okay, next question. Hamilton from Gmail asks, my first question, do you think we sign Hassan Whiteside to a long-term contract? Listen, this is a space where I would have hit you with the hell nah drop, but uh, I will hold back for now. No, they're not going to sign Hassan Hassan Whiteside to a long-term contract. They might bring back Hassan Whiteside. It's not um, crazy that they're bringing back him on a short-term deal, but they... Bringing him back on a long-term deal would mean that they're paying him a whole bunch of money in heading into a future summer where they're going to have to decide on Zach Collins and what he's worth and how much they want to pay him. They're already paying a starting caliber center who's better than him, $12 million a year, what Hassan Whiteside's contract demands are, um, not even demands, what his, what he hopes to sign in the open market might not be what fits their long-term plans, a team that's probably going to be after this season in the heavily into the tax. Uh, I don't think it's outlandish that Whiteside comes back, but a long long-term contract is very unlikely. Hamilton continues and says, and if he does leave, who do you think will, do we think we'll sign another big man? If we do, give me some options. Okay, so 
as I mentioned earlier in this segment, I think the Aaron Baines types, like someone who's been a career backup, is who the Blazers are kind of in the market for. But the the construction of their roster makes it such that they need to make a decision. Do they view Zach Collins as a four next to Yusuf Nurkic in perpetuity, or do they view him as an occasional four next to Yusuf Nurkic and then a, a, a bunch of minutes as Nurk's backup at the five? You know, you you just you split their minutes and things like that. Traditionally, Terry Stotts has gone two bigs, two bigs, but he could he could figure he's a professional coach. He could figure out how to. Uh, stagger those dudes minutes if that was the Blazers plan so that what basically in saying that is that I think that the Blazers are some a team who maybe doesn't want to sign a true five or a big minute five as a backup which moves them into the four category and and this summer there just aren't a ton of um sort of sexy power forwards I think uh beyond the obvious in uh Aaron Baines uh, who I, who we'd previously mentioned, I think Kelly Olynyk could be an option. I think it's not out of the question that someone like Tristan Thompson could be an option, depending on what his market is and how much he wants, you know, and, and what, what he wants out of things. Uh, I think it's pretty unlikely, but I think Maurice, Maurice Harkless is an option. Uh, I think James Johnson could be a veteran who they would look at. Those are just some names names to keep in mind. Um, none of those are are, like, None of those are going to make you really excited, right? Like, I'm, I'm not giving you names to get super excited about, but the Blazers aren't going to have a ton of money to spend. They're going to have, they're going to be probably a team with the mid-level exception and a tiny little bit of cap room heading into the, um, heading into the offseason. Maybe no cap room and, and the, but not a tax team, depending on how it works out. We don't need to get in the weeds just yet, but uh, they don't have not, not a ton of sexy options. Jamichael Green is a name that maybe I would throw out there. Dario Saric is a name I would throw out there. Wancho Hernan Gomez. L- listen, Hamilton, let me read the final part of your question because I know that you're aiming sky high. You say, would there be any possibility in signing Giannis? Hell no, to the no, no, no. Yeah, to the no. Listen, I appreciate you aiming high. But the Blazers are not going to have the money to sign a max player. They are not going to be able to trade CJ into space somewhere and have money to sign a max player. They are not. The, there is just no math that allows them to have money to sign someone to a thirty-plus million dollar contract. It ain't happening. So that's why you got the hell now. Third segment. Come back and close out the show, answering more of your questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Blinkist. It's hard to find time to sit down and learn and read more, but there is a unique app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist works on your phone, tablet, web browser, and here's what it does. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses it down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is hugely popular. There's already 12 million users on Blinkist right now because it's got a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history. Blinkist has the latest titles from the bestsellers, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books. All the books you want, all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for my audience. Go to Blinkist.com MBA and try it for free for seven days and... Save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash MBA to start your seven-day free trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. 
still a pass first point guard. Still locked on Blazers. Still Mike Richmond. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Answering listener submitted questions all episode long. This next one comes from James in Beaverton. James in Beaverton is an extremely uh, radio caller way to identify yourself. So shout out to you, James in Beaverton. James asks. I recently heard confirmation of something I thought was long rumored that Charles Barkley tried to get himself traded to the Blazers before this going to the Suns in 1992. According to him, the Blazers turned him down. What if they hadn't? On a related note, Tyson at Ty underscore San on Twitter asks, just listen to the story again, how Barkley flew to Portland and talked to the GM about a trade. So that's a pretty good what if. Yeah. Okay. So let's get some background. As we close the show with the Charles Barkley what if of a lifetime. In 1992, Charles Barkley played for the Philadelphia 76ers and was unhappy with how competitive Philadelphia was and made it clear that he was going, he was asking to be traded and quite, and he made it clear that he wanted to be traded to the Western Conference, basically. He said the East was too tough. In an interview that ran during the Game 2 of the 1992 NBA Finals, he explained exactly that to Bob Costas, saying basically that the Cavs were too good, the Celtics were still good, MJ was right there, and that the Sixers were too far away, and he wanted to go to the West, where he felt like he could join a team and have a real shot at a title. Spoiler alert, he did! He joined the Suns, won MVP, and... Went toe-to-toe with Jordan before losing to the uh, Bulls in six games on a great final couple plays from Horace Grant. Uh, Jordan broke the press, threw it to Grant. Grant kicks out to Paxson. Paxson hits what will be the series-clinching shot, but the Suns had a chance to win that game in in game six, but Grant blocked the final shot of the buzzer. Shout-out to Horace Grant, who was a villain in the Last Dance documentary by... uh, Michael Jordan put together, but I am fighting back against MJ propaganda by shouting out Horace Grant for no reason in this Charles Barkley segment. Here's the thing, though. That summer, Barkley uh, was shopping himself. The Sixers said, basically, cool, we'll trade you. We we don't want to deal with this. Um, you're really talented. Let's see who we can get back. They ended up trading him to the Phoenix Suns, and the sort of headliner of that deal was... Jeff Hornacek, who was averaging 20 points per game, had made an all-star team, was just a like a straight-up very good basketball player, right? Uh, the Suns included starting center Andrew Lang in the deal, as well as Tim Perry, uh, another big man of power forward who had started like 70 games at, at the four for the Suns the previous season. So basically three starters for in exchange for Barkley. So what I think one part of this what if that we need to unpack is what the Blazers would have had to give up. Uh, they had, the Blazers at this time, if we if we sort of flat, flash back, allow me to go, to go back, they had made the finals in 1990. They had made the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Lakers in 1991 and then reached the finals again in 1992. The, the Clyde's best years were behind him at this point, but he was still one of the 10 best players in the NBA at this time. Um, I think his, I think Clyde at his peak was probably that 
88-89-90 run. Um, but the Blazers peak, the, the best the Blazers had been was probably 1990, the 1991 team that didn't make the finals, and 92 was also excellent. So it's kind of what the Blazers would have had to put into that trade to make it happen. Uh, they lost Danny Ainge during that offseason, so it's hard to include him in a deal because he wasn't on the team. So what, did the Blazers, what would the Blazers have to give up? Well, they might have to give up Kevin Duckworth. They certainly have to give up one take-your-pick, between Buck Williams and Jerome Kersey. Um, I don't think either of those dudes at the time were on the level of Hornacek in terms of sort of individual production. Buck Williams had been, he was a little older, but he had been an absolute stud early in his career with the Nets. Uh, Jerome Kersey was sort of the perfect complement to the Blazers team, but I don't think, I just don't know enough to say whether his value would have been seen the, the same way around the rest of, rest of the league. But, you know, he played until 1999. Kersey had a lot of basketball left in him in, in the summer of 1992. So let's say it's Duckworth, JK, and Mark Bryant, <laughs> just, just for a, a throw in there. So that would leave the Blazers with Porter, Drexler, I guess you start Cliff Robinson at the three, Charles Barkley, some center that they probably get off the street, but if you're just looking, Wayne Cooper, I guess, would be would be the answer. Um, that would leave very good player Buck Williams to come off the bench, or you kind of play him somewhat out of position at small forward. I don't think that's that big of a deal. I think you could probably start him at small forward. I think you could play um, some small ball minutes with Barkley, Buck Williams, and Cliff Robinson all in the court together. This team would be really, really good. Um, the I like the team that Barkley took to the finals with the Suns with KJ and Marley and Ainge um, is not better than the Blazers roster would be, even if you lose Kersey and Duckworth. I think what it does and what the challenge would be, the sort of unquantifiable thing about all this, is that. Uh, you would just, the Blazers magic and some of their magic was that they just had really good chemistry. Um, obviously this was the end of their run, but that, that team just fit together really perfectly. They played a really beautiful brand of basketball. They shared the ball. Um, they, they flew up and down the court with Kersey and Buck on the wings and they kind of just got out of Drexler's way and let him eat up some possessions. Um, Drexler was a really good player, but not maybe super aesthetically pleasing, um, at least for me. So I, I think some of how it all how it all works is is really something. But I think this is a championship level team for at least the following two seasons, at least uh, probably at least, probably until ninety five until you you figure out what you know what uh Drexler wants to do and maybe extending that championship window means that they're pretty good until 1996 by the end you know Barkley on the uh the Rockets is not exactly a stud he was a, a an okay contributor a solid contributor but not like he wasn't he was an MVP in 1993 and then he wasn't um by the middle 90s right so I think it extends their championship window a couple, two full seasons. I think it makes them a real, have a really, really good chance of being a team that could win an NBA title in the the year Drexler leaves. Um, so maybe he doesn't leave, and maybe they can they win a they could win a championship in the year that Jordan is gone. Um, either of the years Jordan is gone, uh, and including the year he came back late. Um, it's 
it's an interesting what if, I think mostly not because of just talent, like you adding an MVP to this roster is, is makes this takes this team to another level. Um, you can cover up for a lot of what you left with, you know, spare parts and the types of free agents that might join a team that's just made the NBA finals two of the last three seasons and then added Charles Barkley. Um, you're, you become a, a sexy place to land, but you there is some there's some personality stuff how Drexler and Barkley are play together how Porter feels about all of a sudden being a very clear third option um the, what do you do with Buck Williams who's now been maybe reduced to a bench role uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of soft stuff that I think is trickier when you add a personality and a talent of Barkley's level who was going to command a ton of shots who's going to command a ton of time on the court and the ball in his hands a whole bunch that said, they are a team that would be back in the finals in 1993. They were that good. It's an interesting what if. I probably could have done the full 20 minutes on it, but since uh, the way the cookie crumbled, you only got one final segment on it. That's all we got for Mailbag Monday today. I appreciate all of you for listening. I appreciate everyone who contributes to Mailbag Monday, whether you submit questions on Twitter at Mike G. Rich or to the email address lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com or whether you just listen. I appreciate you all the same. The world is a difficult place right now. For many of us, for very different reasons, I encourage you to go out and try to make it better, whether it is with your wallet, with your physical presence in a place, or with your warm energy towards someone who needs it. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your communities. And once you're done with that, I guess you can tell your friends about this podcast. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.